I was doing lots of different sports as a kid. I was doing ballet, ballet in London, gymnastics in my borough, athletics, drama school. I was doing everything and I was playing football. And my dad said to me one day, listen, Rio, you're doing a lot of stuff that you're going to burn yourself out. I think you've got to make a decision. What do you want to go with? And just put everything into it. And I, bro, I saw straight away football and, that, and I've done that. And then I started to grow. I saw growth straight away. So making a decision on, on not spreading yourself too thin, that having that discipline as a young person, I think is important. I had a long-term vision of where I wanted to be. And those two things were big for me in, in terms of getting to on the ladder to making it as a professional. Welcome to the Inspired Podcast. And my today's guest is Rio Ferdinand. Rio, how you doing, brother? How you doing, my friend? You good? Yeah, really awesome, really awesome. Thank you so much for you know, coming on today, I know that you're super busy with all the things that you're doing. So it's all good with you. I'd like to get straight into it. You cool with that? Yeah, all good, man. I'm good. I mean, I'm here at your disposal. Awesome. I appreciate it. So I want to start right at the start. I mean, you've played for Manchester United. You, you know, right now you're doing a lot of um, big things, which, you know, maybe we won't, we won't talk about, or we may talk about here. But to get to the level that you've got to, it takes a lot of grit, a lot of hustle, a lot of hard work, and a lot of persistence. So for people watching this, my audience are people who want to be inspired in three areas of their life, either in their personal lives, in their financial lives, or really becoming the best version of them. So first of all, can you take us right to the start? Like, How did you end up playing and captaining for England? Um, well, football was my passion from a, from a young kid, but I actually got into playing into teams uh, with football quite late. I heard one of the kids today, Scott McTominay, who captained Man United this week, he said he'd been at Man United since he was five. I didn't sign for a professional team until I was like 13 years old. So I came into it relatively late. But one thing I think I've always had, which has probably given me a greater chance of, of making achievements, is that my mindset was always that by any means necessary, I was going to make it at some level. Um, and my work ethic was, was always crazy. I mean, whether it be messing around on the estate and the area that I grew up in, it was time with the football. And like, if you relate that to that work, it's like when you're not in the office, it doesn't mean you stop working. There are other things you can do. There's research, there's analyzing different um, uh, trends, etc. There's so many different things that you can do when you're not being coached or in the office environment. Um, and I spent time with coaches, yes, and my club team, but I think the most important time for me outside of that was what my work ethic was like on a day-to-day -day basis and how I applied myself. And just going and doing was never enough for me. And I quickly worked that out, even when I was probably about 13, 14, 15 years old, that, yeah, you can say you're doing extras and you're doing more than someone else, but are you working effectively? Are you working efficiently? And are you working to a program that's going to get you to a goal that you set yourself? And I, I, from a young age, from probably 14, I was setting goals on either a six-month basis or a year basis. I want to be playing X amount of games for the year above my age group. I want to be recognised for in the, in, in the England trials. And then that grows and grows. And, and so I always had targets. And I really, really, that's something I've lived by for my whole career as a footballer and now beyond my career in, in retirement from football, but now into other businesses. You know, it's interesting because getting to where you've got to, it's, you know, you talk about this. I mean, you've got an immense work ethic. I mean, I see you every, almost every day on Instagram. It's like, he's working out again. You just from your workout and you, you're constantly like, just even though you don't have to do this. I mean, I suppose yeah. when you were playing football, you had to train a lot. You had to be 
you know, working out a lot, but now you don't really have to do it, but you, but you still do it. And so let's, let's talk a little bit about work ethic. I mean, why do you think people, I guess another question to you is this, do you think it's, it's possible to achieve anything that you put your mind to, or do you think like people are born for certain things? I think it's a bit of both. I think you're, <clears throat> sometimes you're born for something, but I don't think that's everything. You can't be born for something and it don't work. If you're born for something and it's there in the background, it's in you somewhere, it's about you working hard enough to find it and then to actually go and take that opportunity on. Um, I think one doesn't work without the other. I don't care. I think if you, I, I watch so many um, podcasts, listen to podcasts or videos about really successful people and the common theme throughout all of their lives and, 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 and theme into how they've got to where they've got and sustained greatness work ethic is always a, is a huge part of it and I, I it's not luck I, I think you can you can be trained to get a work ethic you can be trained to to, to see what work ethic, a real work ethic's like like for instance I'll give you a good example I was at West Ham and I, I used to do extras I used to work hard outside of the coaching at the time and hours that we had so I'd work hard when the training session finished I'd stay out me and Frank Lampard funny enough used to do it a lot and I'd stay out and play do different things to work on my, my touch and my different parts of my game. But the same thing at Leeds. But then I signed for Man United. So West Ham and Leeds were two clubs that were very good clubs, but wasn't clubs renowned for winning. I signed for Manchester United. And I quickly realised there's a difference. There's attention to detail in the preparation before training, the recovery after training, the nutrition the rest, the sleep. So all these things started to come into play and then standards on a daily basis, the standards of how they train, the, the, the levels that they train at and the intensity every day was, again, another good few steps up from what I was used to. So I, I, it's weird. And you've got to be intelligent enough, I think. When you go, I always say this to young players, when you go into a change room and you can put it into like office work as well, every, all, all other jobs, you go into a room, my, my room was a changing room. And you have to analyze that room. You have to look around and look at people and you think, oh, okay, this is a level up now. I've got, to, I've got to get myself up to that level. Let me take the best bits from each person in this room. So who's great at, at recovery and, and prep? Ryan Giggs. By the way, he's got seven Premier League medals and all the others. And I've got zero at the moment. So I'm going to, I'm going to try and take a few bits out of his prep and his rep, uh, recovery. Whose standards every day are really high in training? How does he do that? Paul Scholes. I'm going to try and get my standard that type of level. And you just follow it on. Who does the little bits after, extra bits of training after? We've managed to work. Right, right. I want to join in and don't be left behind. And all these things are kind of just were part of the foundations that I put in place when I first got to Main United and was definitely a reason why I stayed there for 12 and a half years. Because without that, you, you come and go at, at, at big clubs, big companies, do not suffer fools. They don't take people that don't work hard and don't buy into the culture. And that was another thing. The culture that was created at the place that I was at really helped me. Because you can easily go to a big club, but the culture's not good. And you fall into that if you're a young player who's not headstrong, you haven't got a strong personality to deal with that. And you can really quickly be sucked into the negativity. Whereas I, I was part of a, a good culture, hardworking bunch of players with good, good morals, good grounding. And again, that was a good recipe for success. 
So you, you talk about culture and what we really talk about there, Rio, is, is the environment. Is It's the environment that people, because they say that the people we hang around are the people that we become like. And so by, by hanging around those people uh, who are more successful than you, who are better than you, who you know, can, can do different areas of life. We, really, we're talking about mentorship and we're talking about coaching. And, you know, I'm, I'm huge on, you know, if you want to get better, you got to play with people in a better game than you because then you can, you can level up. So, why, so but for the people that are listening to this right now and, and, and they want to get into this, like how do they get started? I mean, you can't just get into, you know, a club just like that. I mean, you, you, you've got to put that, there's ways in the specifics. I mean, there would have been things that happened to you that you, like based on that single decision that you made led you to a different path. So what was one of those decisions that you think, you know what, I'm going to take this decision, I'm going to do this. And that led you to where you are right now. I was doing lots of different sports as a kid. I was doing ballet at the Central School of Ballet in London, um, gymnastics from my borough, athletics, drama school. I was doing everything and I was playing football. And my dad said to me one day, listen, Rio, you're doing a lot of stuff that you're going to burn yourself out. I think you've got to make a decision. What do you want to go with? and just put everything into it? And I, I saw straight away football and, and I've done that and then I started to grow. I saw growth straight away. And, 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 and so making a decision on, on not spreading yourself too thin is definitely, was definitely a big thing for me. But another thing was that having that discipline and I used to go to school and after school, I used to have probably about a 10 to 15, 20 minute window of where I could mess around on the street at the bus stop. But then I knew there was a certain bus that came at a certain time I had to go. And I had friends who I grew up with were better players than me, but wouldn't get on that bus as frequently, as, as often as I did. They'd go once and they'd miss two. They'd go three and miss one. Where I was consistent, I'm there. I'm, I, whatever you guys are doing is good, but I have to go see you later. And having that discipline as a young person, I think is important to be able to make sacrifices because it's enjoyable staying there with your friends and having a laugh, meeting new girls, meet all this type of stuff. But I had a long-term vision of where I wanted to be and that wasn't going to get me there. And so I think... Those two things are big for me in, in terms of getting to on the ladder to making it as a professional. You know, it's, it's interesting hearing you say that because every single person to that, every successful person that I've ever interviewed, they have this driving force. And we talk about this burning desire. And that burning desire is that what, what's that one primary question that you're always asking? So, you know, right from when you were in your, you know, teenage years to where you are right now and, and how you've achieved all this success. What, what, what was that one driving question you asked yourself every single day? Because that's where a lot of the discipline comes from, the consistency, right? Yeah, um, it wasn't a question really. It was just like, I had a, I had a on my, we used to sit on the stairwells. It's crazy, right? It's this little bit of a story. I, I, when I was at Man United, I designed a trainer, an Air Force One trainer, um, at exclusive 250 pairs that they sold. Um, but inside the, in the soul, on the inner soul, I had a quote that was there that was really basically my childhood growing up with me and my friends, my group of about 10, 15 friends. It, it, it read, um, if I play one second or one minute of professional football, I will die a happy man. Oh. And that was, that was just, that was our life. That was all we used to sit and say. Just give me one minute. Don't care what level. As long as I'm a professional footballer at one level, I can say I've got a happy man. That's it. And that's how I lived as a kid. I was obsessed. And I think that word is it probably undervalued at times. It's not used enough. 
to be the best, you have to be obsessed. You have to be have an obsessive nature. When you look at the likes of all these guys that um, uh, have turned great businesses and made big, big, big decisions for big companies at great time, it's not just on the whim. It's just not off the cuff. Everything is like well thought out, work ethic behind that. But there's an obsessive nature behind that as well. And I think you need to have that. My mum my, my and dad would have told you that I was just crazy about football. Everything I'd done was just like, I was consumed by it all the time. You know, when you went through this journey and, you know, there's always people in our life, people who support us and people who uh, maybe against what we do. Did, did you have any, anyone around you at the time when, like, when you're obsessed about something, same as me, me when I was a business, my parents like, oh, you can't do that. Your friend's like, why are you doing that? It's almost like they didn't understand. And so for you, did you go through that similar thing where you were so committed to what you did and people around you just thought you were crazy and there was almost like this negativity around there. And if, if there was, how did you overcome that? Because everyone listening to this right now, they're facing this external, there's two powers, you have internal and external. So if that did happen to you, how did you overcome that? I, I have to say I've been one of the lucky ones. I never had that. I had two parents who were, they wasn't pushy, which can be a, a big negative on a young person. They were just very supportive. What do you want to do? I want to be a footballer. Okay, we'll work out how to get you there. My dad used to work in East London. He used to come back to South London and drive me to West London three, four times a week. So I quickly realised, well, my dad's making big sacrifices. I can't mess about when I'm now got to work because um, he wouldn't be happy. And um, I had supportive parents around me. I had my district manager, one of my team managers when I was about 12, 13 years old. Dave Goodman's name was. He was very supportive and he was the first person who helped me set targets. Um, so I, I didn't fall into that. I was very lucky that I didn't have any negative energy around me in terms of what I was doing. You had jealous people maybe in, in circles of friends around your friend network, but no one immediately close to me who was ever like, listen, don't do that or what you're doing is a waste of time. When you went, so, so you got this journey, you worked really hard, you started playing professional football and then um, what, like at the time your transfer was one of the biggest transfers. And, you know, when someone at that age amasses, you know, a large amount of wealth, you know, for some people, it's like people that win the lottery. That's, you know, with, they say that within five years, they lose all the money. Why? Because the internal is not set for it. So when you amassed all this wealth, like, did it change you? Like, well, like what happened? Like, did, did it, did it did, did it change yeah. the yeah? It, I was I was obviously my background. There was we wasn't like very a wealthy family at all. Um, so having large sums of money around wasn't something I was used to, and I, I found it difficult. I have to say I was very frivolous. Um, I wasted a lot of money. I was I love clothes. I love cars. Um, I like I like even I like going out socialising. I was a social butterfly to put it nicely. Um, and probably up until the age of 22, I didn't really have any savings. I was just spending what I had, everything I had I was spending on myself, friends, etc., on family. Um, I ended up buying my mum and dad a house, um, which was always a dream of mine, which was great to do. Um, but I, I, didn't, I didn't have any idea about saving and, and, and thinking about the future at that age at all. And up until 22, I'll never forget, I, I remember looking at my bank and thinking, wow, I've not got anything substantial here based on even given what I've learned over the last few years. Um, and obviously, I, I, I made that move to Leeds, which was a, a record-breaking deal at the time. And then I moved to Man United. And obviously, there's even more money that comes into play there, but I was a little bit older and wiser then. 
So what lessons would you say to people? Like what lessons did you learn on that process for everyone listening to this right now? Because right now, you know, the whole world's going a little bit crazy. And you know, I think people are just either lost their job, their their businesses are going out of business. What 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 was one of your lessons you learned about money? I was to, to, to respect it. You have to respect money. I think I, I had no respect for it once I owned it because I, I was in a career where I thought this is a Peter Pan lifestyle. This is going to last forever. Like you don't see the end coming at all. And and I was very much of the I'll get enough contract. I'm good enough. And, and you can't be like that because no matter how much money you've got, you can, you will run out because you you earn more money. You look at more expensive things and you spend on more expensive things. So it's just scale. But um, I, I do definitely think that you have to respect money and you have to think about the future and find ways in which that you feel that you can secure the future, not for yourself. It's not about you at that point, I don't believe. It's when you earn a certain amount of money. It's about your family, the kids that you haven't got yet. You know I mean, have you put things in place, trust funds, et cetera, for your kids you haven't got that are going to be coming um, or the kids you've got? You've got, to, I think, just securing that because I think you're, you're – once you start earning a lot of money, your, your, your real pressure after that is obviously your health, but it is your family. How are they going to survive when you're gone? Mm. Is, there, is their level of living going to be different to what your level of living was when you were growing up? Can they sustain the level of living that you've provided up until that point? And I think that's a, a big thing. Yes, now we're talking about generational wealth. So here's another question. You know, we, we hear a lot of, like, a lot of my entrepreneur friends, like some of them, you know, multi-multi-millionaires, some of them billionaires, and some of them like, you know, I'm not going to give my kids anything. You know, I want them to work for it. Whereas some of my friends are like, well, no, I, I want to quit this generational wealth. What's your view on that? Yeah, I, I don't, I'm not going to be someone who gives them like, here's a check bank like that. There's going to have to be stipulations to, to, to kind of like unlock um, money. That's what I'm, I've, I've been doing with the people that help me with my finances is to make sure that the children aren't sitting there thinking that they've got an X amount of money sitting there waiting because I think that that creates a bad environment, a bad culture for them to grow up in because they're expecting. I think that's a bad a bad culture to, 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 to set for your children, definitely where they have that expectancy of, of wealth. Um, they need to go to school. They need to go and get education. They need to work. And, uh, and it will be very simple. If you're not working, then you will not be able to have any access to anything. I don't, I don't believe that's the right way. I will help you with certain things. I think getting on the property ladder and things like that, I think that's what a parent's there. If you have the, the, the capability to do, I think that's something that you, you, you should do in my book. Um, but allowing them to live a frivolous lifestyle off the back of what you've earned, I don't believe that's the way forward. Yeah, yeah. And you know, coming from my Chinese background, <laughs> my parents are always you know, save money for any day. And, you know, you shouldn't spend money on things that you can't afford and, you know, only buy something if, you, if you've got enough money in the bank to buy it. So we, we had a lot of um, beliefs around money, like money, like money is the root of all evil. If you have a lot of money, then you had to have done something bad to somebody else to do it. What, what, what were some of the, the uh, beliefs around money in your household when you were growing up? Because there wasn't hardly any money. There wasn't really. Um, it was really weird. My, my, listen, my, the way we lived was like, my dad was finished work on a Friday and come and put £50 note on the side for my mom to go shopping for the house. That's the, the maximum type of money that I ever really saw going around in my house. So there wasn't a culture about this is what we do with money at all. And um, because they were living from week to week. And um, it's crazy because obviously that, that leaves me at a disadvantage in that sense. Um, and then you've got to make the mistakes going on then to get to, to, to get forward. But it's, 
it isn't uh, with football I think there, there, there needs to be more done within the clubs I think to help young players because they know they, they see the difference in the lifestyles and different access to money that these kids get and listen you get a kid nowadays can go from like £250 a week as a kid as a scholar and go to like 50 grand, 100 grand a week within six months. Now, there's, there's no business I know anywhere in the world that does that type of thing, really, to a kid of that age, unless you're a, you, you come up with some great idea and become a, a new tech entrepreneur nowadays. But it's very rare. It doesn't happen. Where football is happening all the time. And it can be very, very, very negative for these young players because that old saying, the notorious BIG, I don't know if you guys know, but the, the rapper, more money, more problems. And, and that generally does happen, especially at the beginning before you're too mature as a young football player to deal with that. And because at that time, sometimes, unfortunately, there's a lot of people around these young players who are sitting there going, well, where's mine? Are you going to share? And then it, it's down to the person, the player, then to be able to go, so, sorry. Uh, and you just sit there, you don't know what to do. Should I be giving money away? Do, should I feel bad for earning this money? All these start to type of questions start coming into play that you're not made aware of before you earn a pound. I remember the first time I did that. I bought my first property and I bought it for eighty-five thousand. I sold it for hundred eighty-five thousand, and I remember just buying this brand new car and driving it to my my best friend's house. And he just said to me, "Why'd you waste your money on that?" And you know what? What I did real the next day, I immediately sold it and I bought another one just to fit in. <laughs> I, 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 do, do you know what? It's mad. That's uh, I've got a similar story. I remember I was um, I was on the landing. We used to live in a flat, so I was on like the first, second floor of this of my landing with my standing outside the house with my dad, looking down. I just bought a new BMW convertible, three series at the time, probably about 23, 24 grand, I think it was at the time. And I was looking at proud, and I said to my dad, "Dad, you like it? Nice car, isn't it?" My dad went, "Yeah, it's nice." I said, "Look where your mum's living." And it just crushed me. And I thought, wow, I was so embarrassed. We were standing outside my mum's flat, council flat, and I've got a brand new BMW sitting outside. And it just made it in reality, just kind of, you know, what am I doing? Like, and it didn't completely like, transform my thinking, but it was a, a good moment for me to actually, yeah, I, I need to help my mum, help my dad, you know I mean, and put things in place for them to, to hopefully live a better life than what, where they were living, because my mum was in the council house at the time, no disrespect, but that's where we were. Wow. It's just amazing to see that the career of, 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 of what's happened and, you know, you've got to where you are. And I think you're at Queen's Park Rangers for a little bit. And then after that, you kind of uh, retired, you know, very, very shortly after that you retired. So how do you pivot? Because, I mean, that whole lifestyle of, you know, um, you know it's, I mean, it must have been a pretty intense lifestyle. I mean, playing football, getting on the pictures in the stadiums, playing every single yeah. week. Like that must yeah. have been cool. Yeah, that, that, yeah. <laughs> go on, go, go for it. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's footballer's life is very, um, you're governed by the manager and the club. So everything is very strict. You've got to be, it's like sheep. You just, you've got to be here at this time. You follow everyone there, go to the airport, fly here, play a game, come back, and just repeat every week. And so you haven't really got your own diary ever. And then once you retire, it's almost like a rabbit in the headlights. Like, well, what's going on? Like, I've always been, if I've had a problem in, in my, my close family, if there's a problem health-wise, you go to the club doctor and speak to the club doctor. Not a problem. Whereas you retire, I was ringing the club doctor. Doc, I've got a problem. He said, you're no longer at the club. You're not really under my 
you're under my um, my guidance now. So, oh, you've got to go to your local doctor's surgery and book in to a local doctor. All these things are like normal things that any normal person does, but uh, somebody who retires from football has no clue about this stuff. It's so weird. Little things like this. And like there were so many things like that that, that happen once you retire that you think, wow, it could just knock you and you think, oh, okay, all right. Or if you just feel lost um, for a little period of time. I was lucky, and, I, and this I'm speaking of other people's experiences a little bit as well, that, and that, in that point in terms of feeling lost. I heard all these stories and saw all these things playing out of people retiring and ending up gambling, drinking, because they haven't got that buzz on a, on a Saturday, three o'clock at the stadium in front of 60,000 people. They haven't got that no more. So what's my next buzz? Where can my next vice be? And they find all these negative things that happen in their life at that stage. And they begin to crumble. The divorce rate is huge. So I think in the 70% of divorce rates after three to five years um, and bankruptcy then similar. So I heard all those stories. And then some of, I got to about 27 years old. Once I've kind of cracked how I needed to prepare and recover and to perform at a certain level on a consistent basis, I allowed myself to start thinking about retirement. And what, what do I want to do? And obviously management was one of them and coaching was one of them. So I was doing my badges. I was studying for that. Um, I like media and content. So I've, I've set up a, a magazine, a digital magazine, online magazine called Five, where I was getting to interview like Roger Federer, LeBron James, Usain Bolt, Drake, uh, 50 Cent, except all these different great people from the sport and entertainment world, which I love. So it's sport, fashion, and um, music, which are all things that I loved and was passionate about. And But in doing that, in creating that magazine, which is now a YouTube channel, I was getting my groundwork in terms of interviewing people, being on screen, being behind and in front of the camera, so that once I retired, I, I could maybe, if I wanted to, go into media. And then I was then building my foundation as well, which helps underprivileged children from different backgrounds um, to get education and then into lines of work. Um, and so those three were the main things that I was into. And that was part of me and my teams. We set out from that age. And then just could, I said, because when I retire, I want to have options. And then once I retired, I'd probably like four, five, six lanes that I could have gone down with it, with coaching, management, um, media, which I ended up going into with BBC and BT, um, where I'm a pundit now, um, doing my foundation work. Um, and off the, the, the media stuff and content stuff came different opportunities like fashion and your own clothing uh, brand and stuff like that. And it was just really, really good. So I was lucky in that. So not lucky, but I, I saw the problems that arose when people retired and I didn't want to be part of that. You know, a lot of people listening right now, because that, that, that's quite a hard decision to say, like, I'm retiring now. Like, you've done so well in your career to get to where you are. And you said, I'm, I'm just going to quit. Or I'm just going to retire. I'm going to stop doing this. So, well, to be honest with you, it's not hard because your body tells you. That's the difference. It's different to business where you go, okay, I'm going to retire or I'll get the sack or whatever. But with football, your body is telling people he can't do it no more, so you've got to get out. <laughs> But that's, that's a really good, um, you know, like, like you almost prepped it before you left. Like a lot of people, I know I, I work with a lot of like athletes or business owners that come to me and they kind of leave it to the last minute. It's kind of, but you was almost like prepared. You're like, okay, well, this is going to happen. So I'll, I'll put all these things into place. And yeah. so you're almost preparing for, for that transition. Yeah. I think that old saying that, that I've heard many times, fail to prepare, prepare to fail. And it couldn't be any truer than when you look at loads of footballers that retire. If you don't prepare for when you're going to retire, like look at this. Like, so for instance, if I wanted to be a manager, me just retiring and then starting to do my badges 
it makes it a longer window for me then to become a manager. Whereas if I start before I retire, once I've retired, I've got the qualifications in place to then be a manager immediately when my stock is high, when everyone knows my name and remembers me very, very vividly because it's there, it's current at that time, where some people, they retire, oh, what do I want to do? I'll wait six months, work out what I do, play a bit of golf. Actually, I'll think about, I want to be a coach again. Do the coaching badges that take three, four, five years. By that time, there's four, five, there's 10, 20 new people that are retiring coming out of the game with a bigger name as you or bigger who are then trying to get the same jobs that you were trying to get. But your name's not, it's not glowing as bright anymore. And you're not the talk of the town anymore. So it becomes difficult. So I just feel, I always thought that I don't want to be that guy that's having to come back into the scene and having to knock the door and people and have to beg to get back in. I want to stay current. I want to stay on trend. I want to stay in people's thoughts. So that if I do need anything and I want to get into certain businesses, then people are very aware of what I've been doing. That's really smart. That's, and there's another saying that says, success is when preparation meets the opportunity. So you've been preparing mm-hmm. and now the opportunity comes and bang, you've got that. Let's talk yeah. a little bit about social media because you talked about content, you talked about coaching, and, and you're big on social. I mean, I, I, I follow a lot of athletes, but I think what you're doing is very different to what a lot of people are doing on social. How has social media impacted your life as Real Ferdinand? Oh, it's definitely given me a second wind. I think um, when Twitter first came, because Twitter was the first social media site I went on, and, and I was probably the first um, British footballer to go on, one of the first footballers to go on social media. Uh, in general. Um, and I saw it straight away as an opportunity to kind of get people into, into a briefcase almost. And then once I retire, I can take that briefcase with me and then talk to them still. And I thought that once a player retired before social media, when you retired, you were kind of, that was it, you were gone, unless you were on the TV doing punditry. If you weren't doing that, you were dead to the world. So I just first saw the opportunity with social media as being, and a lot of the guys in the change room were like, yeah, what are you doing? Who are you talking to? You're talking to all these people you don't know, and blah, blah, Gary Neville, Wayne Rooney, et cetera. I said, yeah, if you think that, okay, now all these guys want it because they get it and they understand it. But I quickly saw at the beginning, like, I, I, I wanted to be on there. I, I saw that this is an opportunity to give people a bit more insight, get them closer to the game, closer to their people that they follow, people that they like, that they look up to, they support. Um, and I was looking at it like, what if I was them and I'm a fan? I'd love to have been able to follow like Diego Maradona on a daily basis to see what he's up to. What's he eating? What's his nutrition like? And what's this like? What's that like? I'd love to have been able to have access to these guys. And so I quickly saw that and grasped that and thought that, no, listen, I, I never imagined it to be as powerful as going to take over like it has now. But I saw that there was something in there that I thought it was worth getting onto. And I, I just seen it, especially once I retired, well, even when I was playing. So I was... I used to go on tour with it, the Man United team to Asia, to Australia, to um, America, the States and stuff. And I said to the, to the Man United, like, let me take a camcorder. Let me film loads of stuff behind the scenes and you can put it on Man United TV. Like, I was doing that from years ago, from like 15 years ago. Like, I was doing all content was all I used to love thinking about and making stuff and that would make people think, let me come back to what he's doing. And so that's where the idea of the magazine came. Because I just thought that if I can do a magazine, would there then be something that I could sell off the back of it that people might want or need? And it was like a research kind of purpose, really. And I quickly realized I created a brand called Five and we used to sell caps and we used to sell out immediately. Um, it was crazy. And I put the Five cap in the back 
or an interview with Lewis Hamilton or Federer or whoever it was. It was just like marketing and then obviously selling to consumers. It was crazy, but it was just real good insight for me to see. And, and I just feel that content and social media, I, I see what you do, it's, it's, it's like amazing if you can execute the right way, if you can get behind just what it looks like and to try and make sure that you kind of get to a position where you're utilizing your fan base in the right way. There's so much opportunity for people out there. You know, both you and I, we have millions of followers. And so you must get your fair share of, uh, shall we say, haters or trolls. So um, first of all, do you get any of that? Because I think people watching say, oh yeah, but you know, people who are celebrities, they don't get that already, but I'm sure you, you, you get a lot of that. And if you do, how do you handle it? Yeah, I think all my teammates at the beginning used to come to me, Rio, what's it like? Do you get a lot of people that try and like hate you and stuff on there? And I said, listen, if you're thinking about going on social media, just expect there to be some form of hatred and some negative comments. And I found with, with most celebrity people or sports star entertainers that a huge proportion of their, follow, of their following or, or things that they see will be negative. Because I don't know, subconsciously, your mind just attracts your eyes to the negative comments. You could have a, a thousand great comments, you'll go and talk to somebody about the negative free comments that you've got. It's so weird. Me and my wife talk about it a lot. Like you'll, you'll go, I can't believe that person said that. And they'll go, how many comments have you had? Oh, that's 3,000 comments. And you've just seen that one negative one you're talking about. I've, I've just scoured through a few of them and most of them are positive. But it's just the way it is. And I, I just think, I was very, at the time, I was quite impulsive at the beginning when he first had it. And I, I used to respond and, and get into little spats with people here and there. Nothing malicious or crazy, but um, I quickly realised that you've just got to take the rough with this movement. Just let, let people, if they're going to be negative and, and they're trying to get a response to themselves, let them go like that. And you keep, you've got a focus, you've got a target of what you're doing and where you're getting to, stay on that road. Yes. And, and so this is really good for sort of our mental health. You know, a lot of people are on social media and, and they're going through a lot of that stuff. And some people might feel a lot of anxiety, but that's really good advice mm -hmm. to just really, you know, focus on what you do. Because it's true, because I'm the same. I get all these amazing comments in that one. And like, oh, why, am I, why am I spending my time on that one when I should be, you know, yeah. spending time with the people who really, you know, like what I do? And, and you like, it's like chalk and cheese, isn't it? It's like they either like you or they don't like you. And, you're, and you cannot, and that's great advice you'll never please anybody, everybody. Yeah, you can't, you can't please everybody. And, and I think if you look at it in real life, when you're in, in real life, how much time do you spend on people that are negative in your life? You quickly funnel them people out. Somebody that brings friction into your lifestyle in real life, we very rarely keep them around us. Well, I don't anyway. But on social media, you pay them mind. You give them time. You give them airspace. I don't know why it is. It's just such a crazy thing that we've kind of become. As, a, as, a, as, as humans in this world, with social media, we, we treat it almost very differently to our real life. But really, you should be treating it the same. People are negative. You stay over there. See you later. I'm here doing my positive stuff. I mean, it's, yeah, it's so true. And you, you've mentioned that nutrition quite a few times. Obviously, you, you're an amazing chef. I think you're maybe a few years older than I am, and I wish I looked like you at your age. And I remember you sending, <laughs> and I, I remember you sending me that that that, that, that message. Um, I, I remember I was in the airport. And I was texting you, and I was like. Real, how do you look like that? And you said, just do this, 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 and this. And it's just amazing because now we come full circle to the consistency of the work ethic and just putting that time in. So um, I, I think people listening right now would love to know what, what, what's your morning routine? Every successful person I've ever interviewed, they have something they do every morning, right? So what, what's your morning routine? My morning routine is I, I wake up, um, get the kids up. I wake up about six, quarter past six most mornings. 
um, get the kids up for, for school or for homeschooling now um, and do bits and pieces of breakfast with them, but then I'll, I'll go in the gym. I'll go in the gym. The, the worst case scenario, I'll go for an hour and a half walk, but I do one of them two things every morning, whether it's gym, which is normally four or five times a week, and then I'll go for a walk, or I'll do a walk when I have a day off out in the gym. But I just feel going out, having that, whether it be in your front room or whether it be outside in the park or wherever it is because of the lockdown situation now, that hour or hour and a half or whatever it is, is I think vital for your mental state and play at the moment, especially in the, in the current climate of how we're living and in these lockdown rules. You have to have that little bit of time on your own uh, and, and doing something that you enjoy or that you feel you're going to benefit physically from, but also mentally you don't, you don't realise what it does. The endorphins that come out of you and as I said to you at the beginning of this talk, I feel lethargic when I don't do one of those two things in the daytime. Um, listen, the odd Sunday, don't get me wrong, I don't get off that sofa, but that's the, the next day I've got to push myself in to get in the gym or go on that walk. And I just feel that you need to do that. And I think eating, it, people's eating habits are all different and people get into slumps where they're just eating unhealthy for a while. Listen, I think we all fall into that and I think we can all be guilty of that, even myself included. I love a takeaway sometimes on a Friday night with a family, fizzy drinks and a beer and whatnot. I love all that, but it's about not making it an everyday affair and saying, listen, I'm going to reward myself. This I've done work hard this week. I'll have a, a nice takeaway on a Saturday or Friday, whatever day you want to do it. But then I'll get back to, it, to, to eating fairly normal and... and, and I'm not someone that sits there and is promoting like an absolute clean, perfect lifestyle. I don't, I don't, I don't do that. So I could never promote that. I don't eat and weigh every single gram of what I eat. I just, I like to eat good food in terms of like I eat a good, healthy amount of protein and a healthy amount, not too much of carbs. Simple as that. Amazing. It's a nice balanced diet there. Where some people go a little bit over extreme one way or the yeah. other. It's not. I don't think you can enjoy yourself. I don't. I've done that. It's not tried it. I've tried to live extreme where you're trying to cut and get into great shape. So you can do it for a little period of time, but to, to, I'm all about lifestyle. I want, I want consistency throughout 365 days a year, consistent. And so to live that, that excruciating, really down to the grams of what you're eating is not enjoyable. It's not, you just become a grumpy person. Yeah. Um, Rio, you, you've done a lot of interviews, um, a lot of podcasts. You've, you've been on TV a lot. What's, what's one question that you would have wished the interview would have asked you or the interview would have asked you? Um, there isn't one, really. There's more like you do you, you you, questions that you think, oh, why did you ask me, ask me that? You've asked a couple, no, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> no, um, yeah, I, I don't know. There's not really one. I have to come back to you and, and another day with that one. Yeah, yeah, no, that's cool. Um, okay, so we're going to finish up because I'm conscious of your time, respectful of your, of your time. Um, oh, if, you could, if you could go back to the 10-year-old Rio, and you were to go back in time and you were to give yourself some advice, what would that advice be? It would have been to put more money into property from outside of football, but for football purposes, would have been in my earlier years. So when I was from 18 years old, 17 years old, until probably 23, to have enjoyed the finer things in life, in being that social butterfly, going out to clubs all the time, enjoying meeting new people, etc. made the focus a little bit more. Whether that would have got me any more or any further, I don't know, but I just thought it might have 
if I was a bit more focused at that point and rather than just trying to enjoy things too much, I would have um, I would have got into the England team on a regular basis more quicker. Um, I might have gone straight to Man United earlier and won more trophies. Um, and yeah, maybe that. Awesome. Well, listen, brother, thank you so much for your time. I know you're super, super busy. And well, thank everyone... you, man. I've enjoyed it. It's been a great talk. Thank you. No, I appreciate it. And if anyone's listening to this right now, you want to check out some of the work that Rio's doing, doing some amazing work. Also check out the foundation as well. And uh, I guess they can all find you on social media. Yeah. Rio35, come and check me out, see what we're doing. And my YouTube channel, don't forget that one. Yeah, and, and go and check out his uh, YouTube channel as well. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. Um, I'm going to bring you some amazing content. Bye for now.